0: Welcome to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety spectrum disorders, just anxiety in general. Uh, Anything that could be related to anxiety and being afraid of stuff, feeling bad, ruminating, scary stuff. That's what we're here for. Phobias as well. I should tack that on there. I did a whole Phobia Friday series. Um... I liked it. I don't know if you guys liked it. Either way, the whole point was, I thought it was fun. Anyways, uh, welcome everybody to this podcast. My name is Kevin Foss. I am a licensed clinician specializing in anxiety and anxiety spectrum disorders. So uh, thank you all so much for joining me, and uh, and um, thank you all for sending me in questions to that point. Those of you all out there, this is a question-and-answer-based podcast. If you have a question about anxiety and how it works, and how to fix it, and how to get over it, and how to fight it, and punch in its stupid face, um, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com, and you can send me a message, you can send me your question and query, and I will read it and consider it, and I will likely put it up on a future episode. Um, I'm going to say likely because, again, we all need to have a little bit of mystery, a little bit of uncertainty in our life, um, because you don't have enough of it already. So I have to infuse that into your life just to make it exciting and interesting and new, right? Because you guys are fine. Everyone's fine, right? Probably not. Anyways, we're all faking it together. Um, everybody, uh, just to let you know, actually, let me finish that thought. Go over to FearCast Podcast. You can send me a question. I'll read it on a future episode, likely, and uh, probably, maybe, and read it, uh, and um, hopefully that will be helpful to you. Um, everybody, if you like the show, if you're a returning listener, go over to wherever you listen to podcasts and write a review. Give me a star. Give me a like. Give me whatever, a thumbs up. Whatever it is, um, it helps other people find the the, the podcast. It um, it hopefully tells people about it, that it's not the worst. And uh, ultimately, again, if you found it helpful, hopefully it can be helpful to somebody else. That's the whole reason I do this. All right. Um, So just let you know, I don't have anything fancy to say up at the top here. Sometimes I will say things that might be relevant to just general things that are happening. I might make a commentary on some big event in life that has happened. I am recording this in the past, so all of you listening to this in the future are, are going to are, are know what's happening. This is kind of nerve wracking for me as I'm doing this because, um, you know, I, I usually record this, uh, usually record it edit it and you know i'll record it on tuesday or thursday and then it's out by by that following monday this is a a wednesday way ago long time ago And I'm banking this. I'm going to record this, and I'm going to put this away, stockpile it away, because by the time you're listening to this, I'm probably on paternity leave, which means I'm not working. And this podcast does take a lot of time for me to set up and and record and write stuff for and and all of that. Um, And um, I'm not doing that. What I'm probably doing is not sleeping. I'm probably um, uh, changing a diaper right now, probably, right? Um, It's going to be exhausting. I don't even know what I'm doing with this because I have I already have one. She's two and a half. Incidentally, um, the podcast, the, this podcast, the Fearcast came out. I think the first episode I released the day before my first kiddo was born. So um, that's that was exciting for me um, on two events. I guess that my child was also exciting, but also the birth of this podcast was exciting for me. Um, that's super weird to say. So I'm having a second one because again, my life needed to be just a little bit more complicated um clearly sleep was too easy for me covid was too easy for me with one child um trying to not break a human and turn her into an awful monster was clearly easy so i'm going up to hard level at least for now we'll see if in a couple years if i uh, extend that to a third um monster child children are adorable everyone out there they're adorable in that they are also horrendous monsters um But I love them, and uh, my child, if you're listening in the future, I love you and you're delightful, Um, but they're monsters. Um, All you parents can agree, but uh, I love them, and they're monsters. So, here we go, everybody. Um, I'm going to get into the questions here. We've got a fun one. I've got a gaggle of good questions. I'm going to be a little bit more abstract. I've got some TOCD questions. I've got some questions just about, you know, sexual orientation, just sexual obsessions in general. I've got some questions about um, uh, uh, how, how ERP works, why it works. So, it's going to be a fun one. So, buckle up, everybody. On to the questions. Okay, this first question comes from Mark. Mark says, I've been dealing with T O C D for some time now, and the thoughts terrify me. I don't want to be a woman, and I begin worrying and questioning. If there is not a possibility I am, then why am I having these thoughts? I've never questioned my gender until this theme came up, and it's been terrifying me ever since. If you could give me your two cents, please tell me. All right, Mark, I appreciate this question. This is a good question. Um, So TOCD, everybody out there, uh, for those uninitiated, is uh, the the fancy, silly, shorthand word or name we give for transgender OCD. So a, a note, you've probably heard me talk about this before, a note on the names that we have in OCD land GOCD OCD POCD SOOCD or PPOCD um scrupulosity because that doesn't have an acronym we need to get we need to get on that everybody but there, there's a lot of names that we have for these things. Now, the names are just there as shorthand. It's for for those of us who are in the community, those of us who are here talking about OCD and anxiety stuff. It's so that we kind of can just say, hey, it's blank. And we kind of know the cluster of what's happening. We know kind of the obsessions, kind of the struggles somebody is going through, rather than having to say it's OCD and go, oh, you know, it's washing and checking. No, 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 it's not washing and checking. Oh, so it's hoarding. No, it's still not hoarding. Oh, okay. So you're thinking a lot. No, I'm not thinking a lot. It's, it's, well, I am thinking a lot, but it's about something else. Anyways, you get the idea. It's, it's to just, when we say I have TOCD, it means this person is having, is experiencing OCD. So just obsessive compulsive disorder, but the theme is around the idea of being transgender. Um, uh, So either fearing that they want to become the opposite sex, fear that they already are the opposite sex and are fighting against that. It it already just kind of narrows it down so we can have a more straightforward conversation. We ought not to get caught up in the various labels because there's been much uh, much discussion about um, about them and people fight about them and which one is better or worse. Um, let's all remember that it's just OCD as a primer. Everybody, OCD. So obsessive compulsive, two things. So thoughts and behaviors. It story. It goes like this. All right, my obsession. Well, first off, anything out there can be a trigger. Seeing someone, not seeing someone, thinking something, feeling something, hearing something, anything, it that triggers this thought. What if blank or if blank, then blank. If I do this, then this might happen. If I don't do this, then that might happen, et cetera. What if blank is true? What if it's true about me? What if it's true about the world, right? Now, that's a, what I call the feared story. Now, that's a story. Story. It's fake. It's false. It's just. It's an option, right? Now that story causes anxiety or sadness or emptiness or something, and now that person says, "Ooh, I don't like that feeling. So I better make sure that I do something to make sure that that story is never going to happen, or that I feel better." That's where the compulsion comes in. That is going to be an avoidance. It's going to be a a, a repetitive action. It's going to be a ritual. It's going to be something. It's going to be a thought process, a rumination, perhaps. It's going to be something that they do to make sure that the story never happens in the way that they think it's happening or that they feel better. Once they do that, they get relief. I feel good. Okay, good. Everything's safe. I'm okay. Nothing bad is going to happen. And our brain goes, oh, Good. I'm glad we did that compulsion. Now we feel safe again. The problem is, then we see that thing again and our brain goes, but what if that thing is true? And we go, oh, no, again. And we do the compulsion. Anyways, it's a reinforcing cycle. Now, Mark, you've been talking about TOCD. Okay. So, for those of you out there for TOCD, Again, common common obsessions are going to be things like, "What if I am a woman?" So, from a male perspective, um, what if I'm what if I'm going to be uh, what if I am transgender and I'm going to transition into being a woman? What if I what if I deep down really am a woman and I ultimately have to tr- I have to transition? What if I develop that? What if I develop this and want to become this? Um, and and these can, these thoughts can all be triggered on people mentioning like him, her, she, him, him, her, she, him, him her, she. Him, her, she his, hers. That was too difficult for me. I've had a lot of coffee, yet not enough coffee. You know what I mean? So, the significance of, of quote, being transgender and the impact that, that would have on someone's life can be frightening because it, it can signify a core fear or can it can initiate this or tap into this core fear that I just don't know who I am. What if I never figure out myself? What if I'm just the wrong person? What if I'm it, it, this isn't me, because there's so much that we have wrapped up in our sexuality, our gender, our identity in some sort of way. Now, this is just one option. This is not saying that you out there struggling with TOCD, this is you, but this might be you. Um, or this me- Meaning that this might reflect the fear that you are having. It also might not entirely. Just because I I missed a point that is is something that you're experiencing doesn't mean that you aren't experiencing it. It just means that I'm doing a cursory and, and and short explanation of TOCD. That's what it means. We'll get to that in a bit. So common compulsions of that are going to be reading stories from transgender folks. It's gonna be about um, watching videos from transgender people to see if, uh, if their story reflects my story or your story. Um, it's gonna be evaluating your feelings. Do I feel like a woman today? Do I feel masculine today? Do I feel like I wanna tran- transition? It can be comparing yourself to other people. This person transitioned in this way, or this person is transgender, and I share these common traits with them, therefore, I must be transgender too. Um, It can be avoidance. It can be avoiding talking about transgender stuff. It can be avoiding talking to men. It can be avoiding talking to women. It can be avoiding watching TV where they might address some trans issues on it. Um, It can can really be anything that somebody does that's going to tap into a sense of calm and comfort. Now, Mark, what you're talking about, though, you said, I don't want to be a woman. And I begin to worry and question. You said this, If there's not a possibility, then why am I having these thoughts? Well, you have OCD. You called me. You emailed me. But you messaged me. You didn't message in Dan Savage. You didn't message in somebody who talks about transgender issues on a regular basis. You messaged me. Deep down, you know that this is OCD. You know that you likely have a history of OCD symptoms, obsessing about something and trying to do things to cover that up, and ultimately as you go through that cycle, it has only left you feel more, feeling more anxious, confused, uncertain, and, and unsatisfied in that. That is a lot of what happens with OCD. So just because you're now worrying about transgender issues does not make it any different. It just means that now you're concerned about transgender issues and still going through that same cycle. So Mark, the first thing I'm going to advise you to do is to take stock into what it is that you are doing as compulsions. Are you avoiding things in people? Are you having to do certain things to, to ensure that you are a man? Sometimes again, uh, back to the point of, about compulsions, some folks will will do some men will do uber masculine things or dress in uber masculine ways will avoid things like wearing pink or wearing purple I don't know d- doing things that would potentially make them look or feel or or, or think in a feminine type of way or, or at the very least just simply not masculine and um, are you doing those things? Um, are you checking with other people asking what they think about your about your your masculinity your femininity? Um, when you start to note those things, put those into a list, because those are going to be some things that you want to resist doing, or you want to st- and you want to start doing the opposite of them. So this is where exposure and response prevention comes in. But It's to say these are going to be thoughts that are in your mind that your brain is giving you. This is that feared story. If blank, then blank. If I'm transgender, then this terrible awfulness will happen to me. We need to acknowledge this first. Uh, Mark, you're having this as a thought, just a, a simple story that's going through your mind that is terrifying. Sure, because it's not something that you want, but... It's not something that you have to have if you don't want to have it. And if it doesn't feel consistent or reflective of who you genuinely, really, truly want to be or feel that you are. But we do have to accept that that's the thought in your head. And OCD gives you ego dystonic thoughts which is thoughts that go against who it is that we are. Thus far, it's a thought. It's kind of like if you're walking down the street. I, I have this from time to time. If I'm on the freeway and if I'm in dead stop traffic and I hear a motorcycle coming, you know what my brain says? Hey, Kevin, just kind of open the door on that guy. Thunk. And like, you know, knock that guy into oblivion. That's a terrible, horrible, violent thought. That's a terrible thought. And I have it. Am I going to do it? No. Does it mean I want to kill people? Probably not. But it does mean I had a thought. Mark, you need to accept that right now this is a thought that you have, and it usually reflects something that you don't want. Now, now that you recognize you have the thought, we need to move forward with life, and resisting the urge to fight it, resisting the urge to prove it one way or another? Ultimately, if it doesn't mean anything to you, why are you spending a whole bunch of time thinking about it, right? And I recognize that there's a biological component to this where people with OCD get stuck in a thought. That's where the name Brain Lock, a classic OCD book, if you haven't read it, read it. It's a classic book because it, 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 it describes a lot of what we're talking about. We get locked and stuck into this thought process. But you get to choose what you're going to do about it just because the thought's there doesn't mean we have to do it, right? Okay. So when that thought comes in, we can take a neutral stance to it, right? This is what I call the Switzerland approach. It's neutral. We don't say yes or no. We just go, yep, maybe. Maybe does not mean yes. Maybe does not mean no. It just means possible, maybe, kind of. So when your brain goes, hey, Mark, you want to be transgender? You go, maybe and then leave it at that and continue to move on. Now, this is easier said than done, and this is a practice and a discipline of disregarding and spending less time thinking about this. So, what you can also do with this, and and there's a lot of stuff I'm I'm going over right now uh, and missing, but the other part is to notice those compulsions and then resist doing them And do the opposite of them. If your brain says you've got to compare yourself to these other people to make sure that you're not transgender, resist as best you can that active comparison process. It doesn't mean that you're not going to passively compare, but it means you're not going to actively, you know, ruminate and think about and compare and contrast and dig and all that stuff. If your brain gives you a comparison and notes that you are like this or like that, you go, "Okay, all right, you got that one. You snuck went in for free, brain." But you're not going to do that. You're not going to actively participate. You're going to shift. Think about something else. Additionally, if your brain says you cannot look at that person, you cannot think. You cannot watch RuPaul's Drag Race. Well, yes, you can. And if that's the case, watch it. Watch it a lot know all the characters names watch it a couple of times watch it until you don't give a crap about that show and the more that you do it the easier it will get it will feel hard and your brain's going to go oh my gosh you like the show you want to become a, a drag queen slash transgender it, it's it's unlikely to be the case it's to say you're probably going to watch that show and just go it's pretty entertaining it's pretty funny okay. or it's pretty interesting or it's pretty fill in the blank with whatever verbiage you experience right it's a show and it's just a feeling and a thought. So find the things that you are afraid of doing and do those things and face it. In doing so, you're facing the fear. What if I actually become this? Well, we're going to go see. It's unlikely to happen. But that's the danger, right? It's unlikely that if we go on a plane ride that the plane is going to crash into the ground, but we all know it's an option, but it's unlikely to happen. But it could. But it's unlikely. See where I'm going with this. Take the risk. Start small. Even if it's just looking at a picture of someone who is transgender. Even if it's saying the word transgender. Say it. Say it 150,000 times. Not an exact number. That just means a lot. Say it a lot. And see how many times it's going to take for you to say it before you actually turn transgender. Become transgender. I'm willing to bet it's not. But you have to take that risk. Now, I'd encourage you to give this a try. I would encourage you to also work with a therapist if you haven't already done this. A therapist is going to be able to help you through that slowly and carefully, make a hierarchy for you, and work with you on tolerating the thoughts and the feelings and the worries as you progress through this. So, Mark, those are my two cents. I hope that was helpful, and best of luck. This next question comes from Varad. Now, first off, Varad, I'm going to say thank you so much for um, phonetically spelling your name. I would have messed that up. I'm just being honest. I'd probably say Varad. Varad. I probably would have said that. Um, but Varad, thank you so much. So, actually, I'll say this: I still might be messing that up. But I, I, I would thank you for your patience and your forgiveness in that. So, um, he asks, why is purposeful ERP exposure so uniquely different from day-to-day triggering events? In other words, how does minimizing destructive responses to simulated triggers train people with OCD to better manage responses in, quote, real triggering events? He goes on to say, do all OCD patients have a certain level that, quote, real triggering events are no different from those simulated in therapy? He says, parenthetically, in terms of the fact that they are all just intrusive thoughts— Or is there some other transitive reason why trained responses to simulated events help after minimizing anxiety when some non-simulated triggering occurs? Okay, so that was a mouthful of a question, and I really appreciate that. I think ultimately it's a really good, really good question. So I I think at the core of what Rada is saying is, how does ERP work? Right? I, I, I think what I'm hearing him saying is, all right, so ERP exposures are fake they're they're not real they are artificial experiments that we're going to do so how is it that how is it that they actually help in real life triggering situations so in 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 brief i'm going to say the answer is going to be generalization which means taking taking the 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 practice of doing something in one in one environment and having it expand out to and apply to other situations. That is ultimately going to be the goal of ERP. Now it can get really complicated. There's going to be some stuff that is certainly way over my head in terms of the biological components of this. For my understanding of the inhibitory learning model, which is a a a model that kind of they're they're talking about a little bit more in the OCD land in terms of treatment. And the, the inhibitory learning model, I have an episode on this very early on, you can go find this and it, it does a cursory explanation of it as well. But the Inhibitory Learning Model helps to describe why ERP works. So briefly, and some smarter person can message me and tell me I'm completely wrong. But here's my understanding of how it works. Essentially, when we have an experience that triggers our anxiety and we give into a compulsion, we learned something wrong. We learned that something was dangerous when ultimately it was not, or it was unsafe, or it could cause some type of threat to us. So we responded to it in a way as if it were a threat. And our brain very quickly learned, oh, that thing's dangerous, don't do that thing. And then we kept doing it because our brain kept saying, "Hey, Virat, right, that thing's dangerous. Don't do that thing." So we kept doing it. Inhibitory learning over over um, over the course of intentionally looking at that situation, challenging the thought about what is our feared expectation. If I do X, will Y happen? Will it will it rationally happen? Is it possible that it could happen? Is there a point zero 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 one percent chance of that thing happening? I mean, yes, there's a chance it could happen, but is it is it really likely to happen? And then we're trying to put ourselves in situations where we could help where we can help defy and disprove that feared expectation. Now, again, it doesn't mean that the thing is not going to happen, but we're trying to challenge our learning and relearn what is quote. Safe. So we're trying to say it's safer than dangerous. It doesn't mean that it's safe, but it's safer than dangerous, right? Safer than perhaps what our brain is suggesting is going to happen, right? And what our fight or flight response is suggesting is going to happen. Through the Inhibitory learning Model, again, we're going to identify a specific event. If I do X, my brain says Y will happen. We're talking about how certain we are about whether or not that thing is going to happen. And then ultimately it goes down, and also we can question, well, how are we going to know that that thing has happened? Because we also want to look for proof, right? Evidence that that thing is going to happen. The other caveat to that is, is sometimes the question isn't about a thing happening, but whether or not we can actually deal with it, deal with the... Discomfort, the pain, the uncertainty, the fear, whatever, whatever the emotional experience is. Some people just go like, like with um. Sometimes with contamination, it's this. Sometimes with disgust, it's this. It's just I feel gross and I can't stand it, so I have to get rid of that feeling in some type of way. And I can't, I can't handle, I can't shoulder it, right? Or I can't deal with the uncertainty. About my sexuality. I can't deal with the uncertainty about my relationship failing or about whether or not my life is going to crumble to the ground because I keep noticing my breathing or my blinking, right? Okay. So then we put it to the test. We say, how long can we go in this without doing a compulsion? And let's say we go, I can't, I can't, I can only handle it for five minutes. Great. So we're going to handle it for five minutes. And then, you know, what we're going to do after five minutes, we're going to go one more minute. We're going to, because if you said, all right, after five minutes, that thing is going to happen, or I'm, my brain is going to explode out of, out of pain and uncertainty. So we go six minutes, you can go five minutes, but you can go six minutes as well. And just go, all right, what happened? Did that thing happen? Did your brain explode? Did the world end? Did you get in a car accident? Did you stab your wife? Whatever it is. You're going to go, no, it didn't happen. well, Also, were you able to handle it without doing a compulsion for that five slash six minutes? Yes, it was hard, but I was able to do it. Great. So now let's try to do it for eight minutes, for 10 minutes. And let's continue to expand that out. And what we overall slowly start to learn is that we can deal with it and we didn't do our compulsion. So, therefore, we can survive and that feared outcome doesn't happen when we don't do our compulsion, right? The, fear, the initial feared uh, association was that, thing, that bad thing doesn't happen because I do my, 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 my associated uh, compulsion, so that's what we're trying to do, to, to show that this thing doesn't happen. Now, that is ultimately how ERP works. We are ex- exposing and then pulling back on the compulsion. And over time, the more that we do that, it gets easier. That's where the talk about habituation comes in. But ultimately, over time, your brain just learns that the thing is is unlikely to happen. So I hope this makes sense. Now, how does it work then? It's that it, how do you take a false or a, a kind of... A, a, a manufactured experience and how does that translate into real life events is again through generalization is that they, what they find is that our, our brain can take a practiced event and then apply it to real life. It's not a direct thing. There's still going to be a little bit of a hurdle to jump over in the real life one, but that's why we practice things, right? That's why, that's why they rehearse a play before they put it on. That's why, um, you know, sports teams are going to do drills before the actual event, right, or before the actual game. They're taking those skills that they're learning during rehearsal, during practice, and then applying those skills, though it might not be a direct uh, application of it, they're going to apply those same physical skills, mental skills, emotional skills, whatever they've been training, and they're going to apply those to regular life, and they're going to see how they go. Now, if they work, if they don't work, great, that's just information, and they're going to take that back and try to put that into practice again. So, It's training. We're training ourselves that this thing is okay and that we can learn to deal with it with whatever's coming our way. Now, one biological component to this that I have heard, and to whatever degree this is factual, um, I've not read the research on this, but I heard a smarter person than me talk about this, so I'm going to trust it. Um, It said something to the effect that um, that as we practice some of the ERP, um, it's that the at least with um, like scripting, um, is that the some of the same neurons in our brain are going to be firing as if we're in that actual event. Now, if we stay in that actual event. If we stay in the, in the script or we stay in the, the exposure for long enough, over time, our brain gets bored and s- sends out fewer and fewer danger messages, that fight or flight response. And it kind of gets bored. And it's because we don't, our body and our brain don't like being at a, such a heightened sense of anxiety, doesn't like it. So it's going to kick in what's called our parasympathetic nervous system, which is the part of our brain that, or a system within our brain that, that helps to calm down our fight or flight response. Because again, ha, being at a heightened fight or flight response for a long period of time can cause some problems to our body and our brain, but that's for a different discussion. So our parasympathetic nervous system kicks in, it calms us, calms us down, and then we get back to normal. So we're still in that event, but we're seeing that, oh, I can be in this experience and I'm not feeling as triggered. The more that we do that, the more that our brain starts to see that, you know, I'm around a snake and that snake doesn't bite me. Well, our brain stops sending out as many fight or flight responses and goes, oh, maybe snakes aren't as dangerous. Maybe heights aren't as dangerous. Maybe being in a gay club, isn't as dangerous as my brain thought it was going to be. I didn't go to this gay club and just like boom, I turn gay. It's that it's, um, it's that our, it, it learns. It learns that this is okay, right? This is being in a gay club is safe. Watching this is safe. To my previous to, to mark, watching a documentary about a transgender person is safe. I put that in quotes, safe, right? Who knows what's going to happen, but that's part of the risk. But we need to first focus on challenging that story. So, Varad, I hope that explains it in some type of satisfactory way. Um, But thank you so much for the question. And to all of you out there, I hope this helped even a little bit. Thanks. All right. So, this next question comes from Wendy. This is a very direct question. I really like this. If a person has sexual OCD, should he masturbate three times a day, or will that make intrusive thought OCD worse? So, thank you for this question. So, I don't think anybody should be masturbating for three times a day. Who has the time? What are you doing all day that you you've got the time to masturbate three times a day? Now, these are just the the, this is just my jokey response, I guess. But um, will that so? should he masturbate three times a day? All right. If, if, if that person just says, you know what? I love masturbating three times a day. It's everything I've ever wanted. I feel good. I feel all right. I feel it has no problem in my life. Great. Make it happen. Go do it. Go live your dream, bro. Um, however, um, will it make intrusive thought OCD worse? I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't know the situation. Wendy, I don't know who this person is exactly you're referring to, but I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, it's probably going to make it worse. I've never spoken with any psychiatrist or other OCD professional where they've said, you know, the best thing to do is to take Lexapro as prescribed. Make sure that you do exposures and then masturbate three times a day. This is not a typical treatment regimen that I've ever heard of. Now, it doesn't mean that some therapist out there has not suggested that. I'm just saying that reasonable therapists don't suggest that. So, will it make it worse? Probably. My anticipation is that the masturbating three times a day is trying to prove something or verify something that ultimately the masturbation is never going to be able to do. Will it... um, Will it calm the person down a little bit? Will it de-stress them a little bit? Yeah, probably. Masturbation is a very good... Tool for that. However, is it effective for dealing with OCD? No, not in the long run. Um, but it is. Uh, so it is I, I would say that is a compulsion that ought to be stopped. So resisting masturbating, cutting down to twice a day, cutting down to once a day, and then seeing about um, skipping days, and then seeing what happens. Seeing if whatever you're afraid of is going to happen if you don't masturbate that amount of time. And secondly. Um, I would resist ruminating about now what's happening because you're not masturbating. Um, The combination of the exposure and resisting the rumination is certainly going to help. But um, to your direct question, uh, should they, or should they not? Uh, You be the judge of you and you be the boss of you, but um, it's likely going to make it worse. So, so there you go. Thanks for the question. All right, everybody, this last question comes from Pauline. Pauline says, my therapist tells me to stop mental rituals. For example, they said looking for evidence that I'm gay and to engage in healthy distraction when I start going down this rabbit hole. And at the same time, she also tells me to intentionally have the thought that I'm gay during some of our exposures. I'm confused. I'm confused as this seems so contradictory. I'm supposed to sometimes not think about it and at other times do think about it. Can you help me understand? Thanks so much for the work of the OCD community. Your podcast has been such a gift. Well, Pauline, thank you so much for the kind words. Again, so sometimes the kind words, just they, they really do go a long way. Um, from time to time, I sit here and going, God, is this podcast even doing anything? Does this help anybody? Why am I even doing this with my time? And then, you know what? I get messages like that, and and it's a simple little statement you made, but it does mean a lot. And I appreciate that this podcast has been helpful for some people uh, in in their progress. Um, I think hopefully it has not harmed too many people or made too many people feel too anxious um, or has been the cause or has been the tool of compulsion for too many people. Hope that makes sense. Anyways, Pauline, that's a really, really good question, because this is the subject of a lot of confusion for a lot of people, because it can, it is, or it can seem contradictory. And I'm going to be the first to tell you that I have done exactly what your therapist has said, to think about it and to not think about it. But the question is, when should you think about it? And when should you not think about it? Now, I will also say before I say anything to this, Pauline, if I say something that goes completely against what your therapist is saying, talk to your therapist about it. Don't just assume that the schmuck on a podcast with a fancy mic is right. Go to your therapist and say, hey, some schmuck on a podcast with a fancy mic said this. Is that what we're doing? Sometimes that can help clarify or start the conversation with your therapist as to whether or not... Uh, th- this technique that I'm talking about is is what you're doing, and just kind of the verbiage might be helpful in the way I'm saying it. Or if it's no, they're telling you to do this for a very, very specific reason, and they're advising that you do this for that specific reason. They are your therapist, not me, they know the ins and outs of your anxiety. They know why they're making the, those um, those interventions. Meaning that they're telling you to do the things that they that they want you to be doing. They're doing that all for a reason. Do that, but it can start the conversation. If someone, if one of my clients comes up to me and says, "Hey, I read." Or I, I listened to Kimberly Quinlan's podcast and she said to do this. I'm mean, going say, great, let's talk about the the pros and cons of that. Will it help? Will it not help? Will it harm? Et cetera, et cetera. I want to talk about it. I don't want to just say, no, you have to listen to everything I say or yes, Kimberly Quinlan is always right. Do everything that she says. It's sometimes we're doing something in my sessions for a very different reason. So that's why we're having, that. that's why you can have that conversation. All right, Pauline, I hope that made any sense. Back to your question. Okay, so Pauline, and so, why would you think about it sometimes and why would you not think about it other times? Well, first off, to the point about mental rituals and distraction. Oh, boy, distraction. So, distraction is going to be one of those hot topic discussions, and, so, and, and I, I think that there is some redemption for distraction within OCD treatment. Some people are going to say distraction is ultimately just um, thought suppression and avoidance and ought not to ever be done. Some people are going to say distraction is a helpful and healthy tool within treatment. I am more, not always, but more on the side of it is a helpful tool, so the the if you are do, going through mental rituals now some th- those are going to be covert compulsions things that are just going in your head you're going through the same story in your head over and over and over again it can be helpful to disengage from that mental ritual and to start thinking about something else. It doesn't mean pretend like that initial thought or that rumination isn't there. So uh, looking for evidence that you're gay, it's not to say that your brain doesn't have that thought in its head about being gay. It just means that you're going to try to think about something else while allowing for that thought to be there. Okay, You can kind of think about it as um. You know, like if you're if, if you are my, my, my silly example of the um, well, I'll try to do a new one. So if you were to, like, look out your window, you might see a tree outside. That's great. Now, you might in the periphery of your vision, you might also see a lamp. You might also see a bush. You might also see a car. You might see a lot of things. But if you're looking at that tree, you see the tree and you see a lot of the other stuff. Now, shift your attention. Now, look at that car, that, that, that bush, that lamp. You might be looking at that and you're still seeing the tree. It doesn't mean just because you looked at the lamp means the tree all of a sudden disappeared. It just means that you shifted your, your attention to it. Now, that's kind of what we're doing behaviorally or mentally, rather, with that in, in terms of distracting and shifting. Now, it's going to be slightly different, though, because if, if you turn your attention towards something to resist the mental rituals, the idea is that you're going to get so engrossed in that new thing, that, that you, meaning applying your active attention to this thing so much that your brain just kind of gets bored with that mental ritual and then stops paying attention to it. That's that's kind of the goal of it. Because the, the nice thing about our big dumb brains is that it, it kind of gets bored quickly, or it gets bored. And we're relying on that process for it to kind of shift and to think about something else. And we are helping it by actively trying to put our attention into something else. So, that's when we're going to not think about it, meaning not actively think about, in this case, looking for evidence that you're gay. Now. They also say they want to intentionally have you think that you're gay in other exposures. Right. So now, this is going to be for more of a traditional uh, ERP process, right? So this is where you're going to intentionally focus on on that that thought about being gay, whether or not you're gay, gay content, etc. The point of that is to actively bring on that anxiety. Bring it on as much as you can. Focus on it. You're learning in that process that you can think about it that when you want to when you electively want to do it that you can have that thought it can it can float around and bounce around in your brain for as long as you want it to be and then at some point you can shift your attention elsewhere but it's the act of putting your attention on it now these are again these are two different exercises at two different times right right it's kind of like saying, um, I, I, so one is more of an acceptance piece, and the other is more of of, of an active exposure piece, right? I, I kind of like the the, the analogy of like um, like getting in shape. Okay, you and I can get in shape by quitting our job and working for a moving company. If we work for a moving company, we're going to be picking up heavy boxes and couches and beds and all sorts of weird stuff, right? We're going to be walking around for hours a day. It's going to be exhausting. But man, I'll tell you, we're going to be burning a ton of calories and working our muscles out a lot, right? So that is still going to help get us in shape. Now, we could do that as part of just living life, right? You can also go to a gym and intentionally do these these activities that are hard, that you grab weights that aren't really doing anything in real life, but you're grabbing the weights, the heavy thing, and you're lifting that thing over and over and over again to show your body, get stronger, get bigger, and look, I can carry and lift this big heavy thing so that I can go lift heavy things in real life. Right? Okay. So, with the mental rituals, your brain just naturally gave you a gay thought. Great. Who cares, right? That's like saying, um, with, with the whole muscle thing, that's like helping your buddy move. They got a they got a couch. You said I'll help you move the couch. You pick up the couch. It's heavy, but we're just dealing with the heaviness of that couch as it's there. We're not saying oh it's heavy. You know what? I need to make it heavier. Throw the boxes on top. Get the lamp. Hey Joe, sit on the sit on this thing. We're not doing that. We're just saying I'm going to pick up the couch at whatever weight that it is. Right. That's not what we're doing at the gym. The gym is lifting weights so that lifting the couch in real life later on or a later situation is a little bit easier. I hope this analogy isn't just completely falling apart or making any sense. And I know it's not quite the same as the, the disengaging from the initial thought but it's to say there're two different exercises one now the the this is the 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 lifting the couch and moving and all that stuff that's that's more along the lines of that that discussion of Is ACT helpful? Why is ACT helpful? And is distraction a effective tool? Now, that's a healthy discussion, and that really depends on the situation. And for some clients in various situations, I will change that around. But the point is, during that time, it's to say, I'm not going to continue to go down this path that is unhelpful continue to go down this path that is potentially causing more harm through reinforcing that fear. remember we talked about that reinforcement cycle of that re- reinforcing the obsession during the compulsive cycle, right? So we're resisting the urge to do something that's going to cause more damage, so we're going to try to distract ourselves to prevent ourselves from doing that. Intentionally thinking about something about some gay content is trying to bring up a thought so that you can tolerate greater and greater senses of discomfort and greater and greater detail of thoughts, so that when that thought just naturally pops up in life, you can deal with it. You can say, man, I've thought about so many gay things. I've thought about the gayest of things, and that you'll say it's not a big deal. Like if you can go to the gym and you can squat 450 pounds, helping your buddy move a 50-pound couch couches aren't 50 pounds. Helping your buddy move a hundred pound couch are couches even 100 pounds. Helping your buddy move a heavy couch is not going to be a problem. If you can if you can squat 450 pounds, you get what I'm saying? So that's kind of the idea of that. So, Polly, I hope that helps to explain the, the reason for those two things. But what I'd encourage you to do is actually talk with your therapist and say, hey, therapist person, this is super confusing. Why is it that sometimes you want me to think about it and sometimes to not think about it? Hopefully, they can explain the reason behind it. I think it's helpful to tell my clients at least why we're doing the thing that we're doing so that they just don't think it's a big jumble of stuff. So... Go ask your therapist why they're doing this or why they're asking you to do the exercises that they're doing and why they're doing it. They should be able to help explain that and uh, and help you uh, with education and the power of education to help take that risk. So Pauline, thank you so much for that question and best of luck. Okie dokie, everybody. Thank you so much for making it through this episode, this um, this mystery episode of something that has has may or may not happened in the future. I will just say things like this. Oh my gosh, can you believe that person said that thing that one time? Or things like, isn't it a tragedy that that thing happened or didn't happen? So hopefully one of those statements is true or not true in the future um, and that we can all get through whatever the calamity or not calamity, or celebration that has happened somewhere in the future. But either way, I don't know, but this will be posted somewhere ages and ages hence. So uh, everyone, please remember, uh, or please, again, if you have questions for a future episode, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and let me know. If you need help getting started in treatment or have any questions about that, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can uh, um, you can go to the find help link and there's going to be some information there. If you have time go over to Instagram and follow me at uh, uh, fearcastpodcast um, from time to time I need to be better at posting stuff but hopefully I can post stuff up there that will be helpful and interesting to all of you but at the very least uh, check me out over there at the instant grams. So alright everybody please remember the fearcast is not a substitute for, for psychotherapy if you have questions about treatment Um, go over to fearcast podcast go to that fear uh, find help link but until then everybody take a risk challenge yourself and don't take your brain too seriously bye